to answer your question, which I had said that uh, the Mashiach is struggling to come. So the question is why? So the idea to that really is this. There were many tzaddikim before they died. They said that, you know, why isn't the Mashiach here? And what they're going to do is when they pass on and they stand in front of the Besden, the court, then they're going to say to the Mashiach, they're going to ask for an audience with the Mashiach, and they're going to ask him, what's the problem? Why are you not coming? Everything else looks so bleak. You know, the time of Mashiach really looks like it's here. So he's going to say, well, there's no problem. If you want me to come, I can come. However, if I come now, then there's a certain amount of the Jewish people that will not merit to see the future world because they don't deserve it and there's not enough time. So either I can come now in which many people will get the, you know, be uh, merit to see the future world or I can come after everybody will have merited the future world. So of course they all say, we'll wait. This is the wow. problem. Only the Rabbi Hashem knows when everybody will get the future world. This is the problem. So the Mashiach doesn't come because he wants everybody to get you see? He doesn't want, even if there's, let's say, even 80%. No, he wants all 100% to get That is why, even though Tzadikim have said that they're going to beg the Rabbanishim to bring Mashiach. No, he won't do that because then there are Jewish people that will be missing, you see. And they will not get Oilim Habo. They will not have done their mission, their tikkun, you see. So therefore, Mashiach therefore does not come. So when I say struggling, uh, that's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for everybody to do their tikkun, and then he will be able to come. And he does not want to come if somebody's missing. You see, because you never know who that somebody is. That somebody could be related to you. Right? He may be a relative that's not religious. And all of a sudden, if the Mashiach comes, he's not going to get the Oilam Habo. So what would you say then? Of course. That's exactly what the problem is. All Jews are related to each other, and therefore the Rabbanisham will not redeem until every person is capable to be in Oilam Habo. This is the problem. So in, in many ways, literally, it's an all-or-nothing kind of thing. You know, everybody has to be worthy, and then he will come. He will not come even if a majority of the Jews are worthy of Ilm Habo. So this is fundamentally the problem. You see? And only the Rabban Islam knows when everybody will be ready. He knows what everybody's mission is, you see. And that's really what we're waiting for. Okay? I hope that answers your question. Rabbi. Um, yes. Uh, my, uh, my question is, is that, okay, so wh- when I was reading the parasha this week, 
um, he was, uh, Moshe was explaining to Yitro about how Hashem redeemed them and everything. He was giving him the story from A to Z. And he was saying how um, B'nai Israel were so degraded and assimilated with the Egyptians they were, that they were hardly even aware of Hashem's existence. And Hashem had to perform many miracles to make himself known to his people so they could become aware of his greatness. So technically speaking, we are in the same predicament. So why can Hashem do that again where he shows miracles on the world stage where, where people will start to see him and acknowledge him and then we could all do the tikkun and, and, and get the ball rolling? I feel like we're still in limbo and we're in a waiting period. The answer to that is uh, because in order to successfully do a mission, you have to have bechira, you have to have free will, you see. So therefore, the Ramanshan will not reveal himself in that way that will take away your free will. Because if you don't have free will, then your actions do not do anything. They don't bring tikkun and they don't bring kilko. They don't rectify and they don't damage. And that cannot be, you see. So therefore, only the Ramanshan knows when, even without free will, it's okay to come and to begin to reveal himself. You see, in Egypt, they were, they, uh, the Bansham revealed himself, but that was only after, basically, they suffered a tremendous amount by having to gather the straw, you see. So therefore, since they never really saw the Bansham, therefore, they, you know, they had uh, free will. It was only afterwards, you see, after this very difficult gazera decree of suffering, that they had accomplished whatever they had to accomplish, and therefore he could take away their free will. You see? So everything depends on free will. The whole concept of tikkun, the ability to succeed in one's mission, it has to be that you have free will and that you could choose. Because if not, if the truth is obvious, then there's no reward, you see? That is why angels, angels, malachim, don't have free will, because the presence of the Rabbanish Lodim is so obvious that they cannot sin, you see. They can make a mistake, but they cannot sin. They cannot go against the will of God, you see. So that is critical. The concept of free will is a critical element in the ability to do tikkun, you see. That's why all the miracles, except in Egypt, when a Bansham does a miracle, it'll always be either concealed, that's one possibility, and the way the Bansham conceals it is we're completely oblivious of it, or where it's coincidence. You see, miracles happen through the coincidence. You know, we call that Hashgacha Pratis, but it's really coincidence, and there are many people that would pass it off as coincidence. You know, it's unlikely, but it happened, right, because of coincidence. But they don't realize that coincidence itself is nothing more than a concealment of a miracle. That two things, that the way I define it, that a coincidence is when two independent events, which are part of two different chains of events, happen at the same time, and that enables one to affect the other.
Now, what are the odds that it would happen at the same time since each one basically is happening on its own, you see? So that is one of the ways that the Rabbanshim conceals his miracles. And he won't be open about it, you see. Uh, again, because he does not want to destroy the, uh, the uh, aspect of free will, you see. And that's the problem. You know, until we are ready, until we will have completed, everybody will have completed their mission, the abortion will not do something which is open and obvious that it can only be a divine being that did it. You see? So therefore, he's not going to do that. He will do that at a certain time. When the Mashiach does come, there will be open miracles. Yeah. For instance, even the Beis Hamikdash, when the Bansham is going to build the Beis Hamikdash with the Mashiach and Yosef, then it will descend from heaven. Now, could you imagine an entire complex descending from heaven? I mean, uh, it's, it's an incredible ness, you see. So that will happen at the time of Mashiach ben Yosef, you know. In fact, that's probably, if you really think about it, one of the ways that the Mashiach ben Yosef will be recognized as the Mashiach ben Yosef, or as a Mashiach, right, is because he will perform miracles, you know, uh, what, you know in, in whatever way. He will have this incredible amount of Ruach Kodesh, divine inspiration, where he will know things that a person could not possibly know. So that is among the ways that he will be recognized as the Mashiach, you see. Uh, and then, of course, everybody will see that. Now, Mashiach ben David, in his time, the miracles will not only be open, but they will be continuous. That's the difference, you see. We live in a time when the miracles are concealed. The time of Mashiach ben Yosef, right, is when the miracles can be revealed, but they're spotty. They're not continuous, you see. But in the time of Mashiach ben David, that is the time when not only are the miracles open, but they are continuous. In fact, miracles become teva. They become the natural order, you see. So, in many ways, the time of Mashiach ben ben David is a completely different uh, natural order of things. When miracles happen on a continuous basis, you see. When a person doesn't have to do anything, all of a sudden, there's food. Whatever he needs, he never gets sick doesn't die, right? All of that is a complete alteration of the natural order. That is the concept of Mashiach ben David. But ben Yosef, there will be miracles, you see. But it, it will happen, you know, every once in a while. So you can see that this person obviously is special. However, it will not be continuous. Not, not like Mashiach ben uh, David, you see. And I guess that's, how, that's one of the ways that you'll know that this person is the Mashiach 
uh, and that uh, he, fi- he has finally arrived. You see? So this is what's going to happen. So that's the answer to your question. You know, why is it that the Rebunsham does not reveal the miracles the way he did then? And the answer is that he will do it. You see? And uh, like I say, there will be ten makas. And I mentioned why. Because the makas, and that will be the miracles that happened in Egypt. But those miracles that happened in Egypt were explicit and open. And that was because the Jews had released all the energy of the spheres. And each Makkah was, was really a sphere that manifested its physical analog, its physical uh, example, you see. In the end of days, there will also be Makkahs, but of a different nature. There will also be the revelation of the spheres. Because that's really what it is. What the Geula really is, is when you remove all the blockages of the ten spheres, so therefore they are able to emit their divine energy completely in a way which we cannot even begin to understand. And when that happens, then everything is miraculous. In fact, what we see, which is interesting, you see, is that this happens even in the desert, right? The Jews in the desert lived in a completely miraculous way. I mean, if you think about it, it's astounding. How in the world can at least two and a half million people live in a desert, right? How? It's impossible. There's no food. It's a wilderness, you see. And they don't plant. So every, imagine every day you witness food coming down literally from heaven. And that's the mun. I mean, the month was a display, an open display of something that really has never occurred before. It is a miracle that happens every day, always in the morning. It never spoils. It is a perfect food, you see. And it happens every day. And it's literally food, you see. So you have that miracle. Then besides that miracle, I mean, this is incredible. Imagine if every day, time you opened up your refrigerator, it was filled with food, and you didn't even buy anything to put in. And then you saw the, the clouds of glory. Could you imagine being surrounded by clouds that protect you? You see, completely, it wasn't just a cloud from the weather. It was a real cloud that protected you on north, south, east, and west. And it was above and below. You see? So anybody just has to look up and, you know, to the sides, and he sees this inc- incredible cloud that had these miraculous properties. You see? Not only is that, his clothing never withered. Do you imagine you never have to buy clothing? Because anything you wear never, you know, never uh, uh, is spoiled or never, uh, what do you call it, uh, gets ruined. Never. Not only that, the mun was a food when nobody ever went to the bathroom because it was a perfect food. There was no such thing as having to go to a bathroom, wherever that was, you see? So could you imagine? And then, of course, the, the incredible miracle is the 
it is the Mishkan, where you see the cloud of glory, right? You see that over the Mishkan, and it's always there. So could you imagine living for 40 years with continuous miracles? That was the result of the Jewish people doing the Tikkun, you see? And the interesting thing about it is that it continued even though they did the Chet of the Eagle, right? The sin of the golden calf. And they did the sin of the Maraglam. It still continued, you see? For 40 years, could you imagine what that is? 40 years, you know? And it's interesting, nobody ever got sick at all. When it came a person time to die, because of the decree that everybody's got to die over 20, what they would do is dig a grave, lie in it for five or six days from Tishabov until Tetzvavov, and then they were either dead or not. Uh, but there was no death in the camp except on that, you know, uh, six-day period. So could you imagine what it was like living in the desert? It was unimaginable, you know? So that same idea, the way the Jews lived miraculously for 40 years, that's a long time, will be the state of existence when the Mashiach ben David comes, certainly. You see? So it'll be incredible. Um, you see? I mean, the mere fact that nobody dies, nobody ever gets sick, you know, and every day is an unbelievable day when you wake up in the morning, you know, it's just an incredible day. And then you have everybody among the Jewish people are prophets on a VM. Could you imagine? And there's no more danger anymore. You know, you can have a lion as a pet because there is no more evil, there's no more killing or hostility, you know, that is gone, because the sudden is gone, you see, and everybody's also a prophet, and everybody has Goyim, which is, you know, non-Jews, as servants, it's not because they, it's because they, they want to experience God, which can only come through you. So it's going to be, uh, could you imagine? It's going to be like living in the desert for 40 years, except it would be much greater than that, much greater, you know? Look, we cannot even imagine what it means to live in the desert for 40 years with a constant flow of miracles. We can't imagine that, you see? So could you imagine that this happens a million times more, you know, than what they experienced in Mitzrayim, you see. And that's what the Messianic era is. And that will continue for hundreds of years. Yeah. Think about it. We're already at the end. 96%, the world is, six, is supposed to last for 6,000 years. The last uh, period of time will be the Messianic era. You see, so could you imagine, right now it's year 2021, and the world ends in 2240, so right now, at least 96% of 
of the world's time has passed. So we will at least experience, hopefully, 4%. But that 4% will be something that we have never seen before, something that we cannot even imagine. Because the, way, the only way you can imagine the Mashiach's time is by thinking of now, this time, without problems. But that's not what the Messianic era is going to be. It's not going to be like living now, but with no problems. No. It'll be not a quantitative distinction. It'll be a qualitative distinction. It is something we cannot imagine. And I'm not talking about the future world. I'm talking about the Messianic era, where we will all have bodies, you know, we will communicate with each other, and so on. You see, so we, we cannot imagine what that world will be. That is how different the world will be. So don't think it's just a time. In the Mashiach bin Yosef's time, it'll be a world, it'll be a time, you know, when things are going to be looking up incredible, and every day is going to be spectacular. That's Mashiach bin Yosef. But Mashiach bin David is different. We cannot imagine what his tekufa will be, <clears throat> you see. And I once mentioned the Medrash a long time ago, <clears throat> where it says that the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is the comprehension of God and all the mystical ideas, Kabbalistic ideas, right? All of that will be, that is today, the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu will be nothing compared to the Torah of the Mashiach. Now, it doesn't mean Torah in the sense that, you know, you learn Torah, you know, better pshat or whatever. No. It means the revelations or the, the, the giluyim, the revelations of God, who he is, what he is, what the world is really like, what the underpinning, the spiritual realities that underpin the physical realities, right? All of this will be revealed in the Messianic era. So how can we possibly imagine? So it's not about having a better shear. It's a shear in Torah, whatever. It's about understanding something that we cannot even imagine. And this is the Messianic era. Forget about the future world. You see, so remember, people make a mistake. They think the Messianic era, well, it's going to be like this world. They call it utopia. But utopia is nothing more than this world in, in a perfect way, where, where there's no, you know, there's no uh, deficiencies, there's no uh, damages, or anything like that. No. It's not even this world. It is a world which is qualitatively a different reality because the divine presence, the Shekhinah, will come again to inhabit not merely Eretz Israel, but the entire planet. You see. In fact, what's interesting is that you will be able to converse with Malachim. You will actually be able to communicate with spiritual beings. You can't do that now, right? You'll be actually communicate. So therefore, well, what kind of a reality is it that you can actually talk to a malach? You see? Well, if you can have nevuah, 
if you can have prophecy, well, that's talking to God. Well, if you can talk to God, then of course you can talk to a Malach. So could you imagine a reality where you can talk to Malachim? You know, really Malach, you know? Not people who think that they're angels. Real Malachim, you know? Like uh, Avram Avinu with the three Malachim, you know? Even though they, they, they looked human, but obviously they were Malachim, or the Malachim that took Lot out of Sedaim. But in the Messianic era, you know, they will come across as real Malachim. Because the, the awe, the incredible, not just the holiness, but the, the illumination of that time will be beyond belief. So we're not looking, we're not merely looking for a better time. We're looking for a time that is unimaginable. That's an important idea, like I said, because a lot of people think, well, the Messianic era, there's no wars, there's just peace, there's no starvation, there's no disease. Okay, that's great. That's not what it's about. A revelation or a gilo in the Shechina is not about a better world. It's a completely altered state of reality. And it all begins with an individual called Mashiach ben Yosef. That's how it begins. And he is the one that's going to transform the world from the world we have now to a world of Mashiach ben David. But I'll tell you, what's interesting is the world we have now is terrible. The world is getting much worse, much worse. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of evil. You know, I'm, I'm talking about the nations of the world. The amount of suffering and evil is incomprehensible. And even America is going down, tremendously sliding downhill. Evil has taken over. Evil is completely dominant at the present time. We see that, you know, certainly with the United States. Who would ever imagine that the United States would turn into an evil country? You see, an evil because what, what they want to do, what the, what the administration wants to do, we're looking at Biden, we're looking at the Congress, the Senate, we're looking at all these people. They want to purge, remove freedom, liberty, the ability of somebody to grow and do what he wants to do. They want to destroy and strip you of your humanity and of your freedom and the ability to, you know, be a person and to fulfill to all the dreams that you have. That's what they want to do. Basically, they want to enslave you. That's really what communism is. We've never seen that. We've never seen America become this. You know, I once said, you know, Abraham Lincoln said, America is the last great hope of mankind. Well, it's no more the last. It's gone. So what that says is that we are really in the end. This is the window closing, almost, you see. If you ever wondered, well, what is that going to look like? 
You're looking at it. This is it. What the Rebbe is now changing the entire American landscape. Look, America used to be the model to a certain extent or a great extent of righteousness, justice, you know, liberty, kindness, you know, where one doesn't just try to destroy another person, another person's life, and so on. You know, integrity, you know, justice, and so on. America used to be that country, you know. And today, when you look out, it has nothing to do with that. There's a tremendous amount of evil going on. And it's all beginning, if you've noticed, with the taking away your freedom of speech. That's the beginning. Because what they want to do is to stop any expression of protest or dissatisfaction. So they are shutting down free speech. It's happening already. Uh, you see, whoever thought that this is what's going to happen with America? So therefore, what is interesting, we begin to realize we are at the end. Yes. And this is the concept of the end. The end is an incredible amount of evil. And I had mentioned in one of the shurim, you know, <clears throat> that when you look at the Gemara, many of the Gemaras, they all talk about the end of time in a doomsday scenario. You know, there will be this, and they won't know nobody's going to have money, tremendous suffering, tremendous amount of chutzpah, tremendous amount of, you know, brazenness and arrogance. And, uh, you know, children will disrespect the elders, you know. It's, when you look at the Gemara in Sanhedrin, it's all doomsday. So what does that mean? And the answer is, that's what you're looking at. You are looking at from the transition of what used to be a decent society. You are looking at that even that society has now turned into Sadoim and Amira. They've turned into that. And it's only going to get worse, you see. And all of this is, you know, basically, ultimately, like I said, to give the Sutton his due. Because there's a trade-off here. And hopefully the trade-off is the end of the era of Rav and the beginning of a rehabilitation process for the Jewish people, you see. Also, there's another interesting idea why this happens. Because if God wants to demonstrate his power, right, and the fact that he can vanquish something, well, he doesn't want to do that to a weak power, you know? If, you, if a guy walks over, right, and he wants to demonstrate his power, and he starts beating up a five-year-old kid, it's a big deal. It's a joke. Obviously, he's much more powerful than a five-year-old kid. So that's not a demonstration of tremendous power, right? If he wants to demonstrate his power, what he should do is fight with a heavy weightlifter. You see, that can lift 800 pounds, a Mr. Olympia, one of these kind of guys, or a 10th degree black belt. If you win on that, You've demonstrated incredible power, ability. 
Well, therefore, that's what the Bosham does. What he does is he advances the evil to an incredible extent where they believe that they are all-powerful. So when you look at what's happening, you see, when you look at China, China thinks it's all-powerful. You see, then you look at many countries in the world, dictatorships and so on, uh, you know, then you look at all kinds of people out there, they all think they're God's gift to the planet. So therefore what God does is he allows evil to grow to an enormous extent where they think, they believe that they are an invincible, you see, and they could demonstrate tremendous power, wealth, strength, you see, control. And then what happens is God comes in and destroys them, all of them. So what God has essentially done is elevated the illusion that they are invincible, of invincibility. And then he goes and destroys it, you see. That's one of the reasons why there's tremendous darkness. You see, that's the second reason, like I said, you know. In fact, that's what you see actually in Egypt. Egypt wasn't a weak country. Egypt under Ramses, which is basically uh, when the Jews were in there, when the uh, exodus Mitzrayim happened, you know, it was the greatest nation on earth. It wasn't a weak nation at all. It was the greatest nation on earth. You see? And what the Bansham did is he just wiped it clean. He wiped the slate clean. You see? So what that demonstrates is the awesome, infinite power of God by, by, by smashing to smithereens Egypt. You see? It's the same idea. What the Bansham does is he allows evil to grow. So they engage in the illusion of invincibility. And then what the Bansham does to show them who he is, because they think they're invincible, he destroys them. So that is an incredible demonstration of his power and his might. So, just like it happened in Egypt, guess what? It's happening now. <clears throat> you see. And that's what you see. You see, there are con many countries in the world that think they're invincible. You see? You look at China, which is insane. You look at Russia. You look at many countries, the EU, you know? And now you look at America, where America thinks it's invincible. You see? They can limit everybody's freedom totally and they think they can get away with it you know yeah you talk about one of the major mitzvahs of Judaism is Ben Odom Lechaveroi right Ben Odom Lechaveroi right mitzvahs which are Ben Odom Lechaveroi is to help the concept of chesed is to help as much as possible to support to do good to another person not to destroy him or infringe on his ability to live. When you think about one of the greatest of all evils is when you not only do evil, defy God, but what you do is you destroy others. 
You see? That's a tremendous demonstration of evil. It is the exact opposite of chesed. The opposite of chesed is cruelty, axorius. And what this administration is involved in is tremendous axorius. You see? They don't realize that, or maybe they do. They don't care. To deny another person the ability to survive and to flourish, right? The ability to live in a, in a fruitful manner, you know, to accomplish and have meaning in life and have freedom and so on, is an incredible between a man and his, you know, neighbor or his friend, whatever. You see, his associate. To deny that is an incredible axorius, you see. And if you look at it, that's really the history of the world. All wars in some way imposed terrible things on some other people, you see. Most of the world is axorious. Most of the world is cruel. In fact, we don't even realize that. We don't realize the amount of cruelty, for instance, in Washington, D.C. It's a swamp. There's a reason why it's called a swamp. It's a very cruel country, a very cruel city, you know. Well, they will destroy you. They will step on you, you see, without batting an eyelash. It's not Achmanus. Now, it's one thing to see a city like that or people doing it to other people. But what's happening now is beyond belief. The administration, the government of America, has now become that. And this is only the beginning where they are going to try to take away and control you in many ways to enslave you. That's what's going to happen. You see? And uh, it's interesting because that's exactly what the Jews were in Egypt. Slaves. You see? Now, they, they may not, uh, you know, own you in that sense. You see what I'm saying? There's no question about that. And that's what's happening. You see? So that is the beginning of the end. I think what's also involved in what's happening today is the Russian wants to shake up the Jewish people. The problem is everybody thinks that America, as they say in Yiddish, is the golden Medina, the golden country, you know, where everything is great. It's a utopia. It's magnificent, right? But what God is doing is destroying that. He's destroying what America used to be, maybe, but it's no more that way, you see. And therefore, people, maybe, hopefully, will begin thinking, maybe America is not what I thought it was. Maybe America is the opposite of what I thought it was. And maybe it's time to think about getting out of America. I think that's clearly part of the plan is to disturb the image of, of, of utopia that America has, has uh, demonstrated to the Jewish people. You know, if you want to shake up somebody, right, the way to do that is by showing him that what he thought he had was a great life is not a great life. And then all of a sudden he begins to think, maybe I should be somewhere else. You see? So... 
People are going to be even thinking about that. But in order for that to happen, then something has to happen to Israel. It has to be a better place to move where there are jobs, there is ruchni, spirituality, and so on. And right now, it's very bad what's happening in Israel. There's a tremendous anti-Haredi mood in the country. Very bad. That's what people tell me, you see. Uh, so even in Israel, we are watching terrible things happening. There's an incredible amount of sinas chinam, baseless hatred, and so on, you know. So it looks like wherever you look, this world is going to pot, as they say, you see. Wherever you look, there's tremendous amount of cruelty, of, of uh, corruption, of sin, of immorality, hatred. That's what this world has become. I mean, are we going to actually think that the Bansham doesn't want to end it? You know, things are not going to get better. They're only going to get worse. Therefore, it's highly reasonable to assume besides many other ideas, that the Mashiach is right around the corner. And that's what we're looking at. The window is slowly closing down to the last possible slit or the last possible opening. And then before it shuts, all of a sudden the gates open and the ghoul is here. And it's very, very close. The greater the evil, the closer is the messianic redemption. And that you see clearly like that, you see. So that's what we're living in. We are seeing evil multiply. We are seeing evil intensify enormously, you see. And that, in a certain sense, is good news, right? Because that means we are closer to the end, you see. Now, what we have to do, obviously, is to hang in there. This is called Chevli Mashiach. This is the Chevli Mashiach. This is the birth pangs of the Mashiach. And just like an embryo, an infant, when it's inside its mother, cannot in any way conceive of what the outside world is, you see, it cannot conceive of it, you know, even if it had the intelligence to conceive things. The same thing, we cannot conceive of what the messianic era will be. So we're not talking about a world that will be great. Great is an incredible understatement. It'll be a world which is unimaginable toiv, goodness, unimaginable success, unimaginable comfort, security, pleasure, and just absolute goodness. That is shortly up ahead. You just have to hang in there, do the mitzvahs, don't speak Lashonara, you see, and have bitochen, that it's all going to end very quickly. Any questions? Yes. So if Hashem is waiting for all of us to do the tikkun, but at the same time we're falling uh, at the 49th level of a defilement, 
uh, yes. how far are we going to fall down while we're waiting for everybody? Well, that's the question. Obviously, we can't fall too much more. Like I said, 11 million Jews are gone. You know, how many more people have to be gone? And we know on Sunday, last Sunday, you had uh, two tremendous tzaddikim. You know, you had Rav Shina, who was a Rosh of Kamenetz. You had the Briskarov, of David uh, Slavichik, you know. And you had also Tversky. The commonality of all of them, by the way, and this is very important, the commonality of all three was they were all big marbitze Torah. They were all spread the Torah. They were very much involved in spreading the Torah to thousands of students. You know, uh, Rabbi David Soloveitchik, the Rashiva Brisk, I mean, he's, that yeshiva is open for 50 years. So who knows how many students went to his yeshiva. And he is one of the, the models of Torah, of being a Talmud Chochem. Then you had uh, Rav Shiner, his Rashiva Kamenetz. He also had thousands of people going to Kamenetz, you see. And uh, even Tversky wrote, what did I, I think he wrote 60 books. And they're all about making people feel better. And all about Hasidic tales and learning I mean, the common denominator between all of these people is each one of them was, uh, in many ways, a pillar of Torah to the community. I mean, you don't replace these people. They're not replaceable. You know, it takes years. All of them were 90 and above, you see? So when you see that the Torah itself is darkening, because that's what it means, a darkness has descended over the Torah itself. I mean, who is left? Which, what Gedolim are left? You know what I'm saying? I mean, even among the Sephardim, for instance, I mean, you had phenomenal Gedolim. You know, Vad Yosef, many of them, you know, Shashivas and so on. Uh, what's left? You think about that. And in the Ashkenazi world, the same thing. You know? Yeah, look, they're all good Tamidi Chachomim. But they're not Gedolim, really, in the sense of a true Godel, somebody who has mastered the entire Torah. You see, you see? And uh, this is the problem. You know? Uh, you have to know one thing, there, there, there's a lot of learning going on. But how much knowing is there? How much mastery is there? So, you can get fooled. And people get fooled. But the truth is, that the Torah, even though there's more people learning, there's very poor, in many ways, accomplishment because most people don't remember their learning or they have learned very little, you see. And therefore, Torah is suffering. So what we see is a tremendous darkness that is descending on the Jewish people. So wherever you look, you look at America, you know, you look at Israel, you look at the Torah community, you know, wherever you look, there's a tremendous diminishment of Kiddusha, you know, and, and, and so on. You know, it's a, it's a very different world than the world that was, before, you know, in, uh, in, in 1800 and so on in the Jewish community, you see. So therefore, we are very close to the end. 
We are down Rabbi, to the Memtel Shari Tumma. Yeah. Rabbi, I have a question. So, um, before Hashem was able to um, destroy the Egyptians, He had to destroy the Sad of Egypt. They call it the genius yes. or something like that. Yes. Okay. So, what about the Sad of America and the Sad of Israel? Like, what's the story with them now? Because obviously Hashem has to destroy them before we're able to be redeemed. Yes. Well, the Tsar of America is the Tsar of Edom. And that is the Sultan himself. Edom, who descends from Esau, the Tsar or the Malach of Esau was the Sultan himself. It wasn't somebody else, some delegate, you know. No, it was the Sultan himself, you see. And what happens ultimately then is, which is interesting, is that Dervosham actually enables him to do more evil. That's the concept of Tigbur Surah, which happens at the end of time. Tigbur Surah means the strengthening of evil, which is interesting, you see. So before, he's able, before God is able to wipe out a people, he will destroy the ability of its malach uh, to do anything. Because the whole, malach, the whole rationale of the malach's existence is only because he represents the, that nation. But once that nation has been decreed to be destroyed, then that's kaput for the malach. The problem is that the Satan is not a malach really of in any particular nation. What you see, what he does is he has what's called a bechor. You see, he has what's called a firstborn. And it varies from generation to generation. Now, in the time of Egypt, you know, the, the Bechor of the Sultan, together with the Malach of the Egypt, was the Sultan. You see? And uh, the, uh, so that Bechor, at any given time, is his agent. But that can switch from different times. Today, the Malach or the Bechor of the Sultan basically is, uh, is the uh, America, is Western civilization. You see, that's the Bechor of the Sultan. But the interesting thing about him, the Malach, Sultan, is that as it comes near the end, he doesn't get weaker, he gets stronger for specific reasons, because he represents Din, or justice. So therefore, one of the main things is that justice has to be satisfied. Unfortunately, many times that means suffering. Therefore, he becomes more powerful and he's able to give much more suffering to people. So the unusual, it's, it's almost paradoxical, as you get closer to the end, he grows stronger. And at the end, he's the strongest of all. So it looks like he's invincible. You see, it's like a nova. When a star dies, it blows. But it's, when it blows up, the energy output can rival an entire galaxy, and then it just instantly disappears. That's the same thing with the Sultan, you see. In fact, what's interesting is by Yaakov Avinu, when he went to, you know, when he uh, left Choron, right, and he went to sleep, uh, you know, and on the way, so he had a dream, we know, with the ladder. So he saw Malachim going up and then down. And Malachim going up from the for the, for the uh, three nations. You know, there was Babylon, there was Greece, there's Persia, there's Greece. 
But when he saw the Malach of Edom going up, it went up and up and up. It didn't go down. So obviously he was very concerned. You see? It's because he said, wait a minute, then who's going to bring it down? So the Barsham said, I will bring it down. Now why is that? Why is that? Why is it if the Barsham wants to destroy a nation, he brings the Malach down? But if he wants to destroy the Sultan, he raises him. Well, it's a paradox. But we know the answer. The answer is because the Sultan doesn't have a nation, basically. He has an agent, a Bukhor, at that time. And the second problem is, is that the Sultan, okay, represents justice. Whereas the other Malachim don't represent anything except their nation. So they can claim in front of the court about their nation. They don't raise, they don't, they don't represent, uh, you know, justice. But the Sutton does, you see. And one of the ideas is that justice must be satisfied. And the way it's satisfied is by empowering the Sutton much greater ability. Again, because his job is not only that he's the Malach of Esau or Edom, he's also the Malach that represents justice. And therefore, the way God treats him is unique. Instead of destroying him, right? No, he raises him at the end. And that's called Tikbur Sarah, you see. And that's a very interesting sign. So when you see evil, when you see good turning to evil, which is basically what's happening to America, then you know immediately that it means that we're near the end. You see? Because that only happens at the end. You see? That's why the treatment that the Sultan gets is completely different than the treatment that any other Malach gets. So the Malach of Egypt can be destroyed, you see, before the end, but the Malach of Edom, who is the Sultan, not only is he not destroyed, he's incredibly elevated. So justice can be satisfied. That's number one, which increases tremendous suffering. And the second thing is shrikhad, that God can say, back off from prosecuting, and I will give you, you know, your due. And the Sultan, of course, we know, is only happy to take his due. Because then he can try to convince more Jews to sin, and he can take from their Kedusha. You see. Uh, so therefore, like I say, the treatment that God gives the Sultan is radically different than the treatment he gives any of the Malach. Because remember, because the Sultan has the dimension, the job, of representing justice. And therefore, God has to deal with that, you see. And that's why the Sultan is not disappearing. And that is why by the latter, when Yaakov saw the Malach going up, he didn't understand. Everybody's going down. So why is he going up? And the answer is because since he represents justice, right, then the proper way of relating to him is both of these ideas, to satisfy justice, A, and B, to propose a shaykhad where he can stop being makatreg, he can stop prosecuting the Jewish people. And therefore God can now do other things 
because the Sultan is satisfied. And I believe that what God is about to do is in some way to remove the air of Rav. Because the greatest blockage to Gula is the air of Rav. But that is a miracle. For God to do that will require a tremendous ness. Because they are so entrenched in destroying the Jewish people. They're not interested in destroying Jews. They're interested in destroying Judaism. You see, that's what these people are interested in. To replace Judaism with Jewish culture. That's what they're into too. And I will speak about them more extensively. But therefore, to remove them requires an incredibleness miracle. Because they, as we will see, have become the Bechor of the Sultan. The heir of Rav is now the firstborn of the Sultan. You see. And the problem is, is not only that they are the firstborn of the Sultan, the problem is also that they are Jews that the firstborn of the Sultan. Therefore, you know, a Jew is different. You can't get rid of a guy, but a Jew does one mitzvah, and that itself is unbelievably uh, powerful. Much harder to get rid of Jews than is goyim, because every act of a Jew is a tremendous mitzvah, even if he be a Russia, you see. So therefore, that to get rid of them requires uh, mamash, a tremendousness, of which we will see shortly. Are we seeing that already, Rabbi, with seeing that BB is on trial? Is the trial started? Correct. Yes, exactly. It's already happening. It's not only BB's on trial. It's not only that. It's that they have failed to put together a coalition three times. And the last coalition with Gantz is an absolute mockery of a coalition. Nothing has been done. All they do is hate each other. There is no real government in charge because these two people hate each other. So that is the beginning of the fall of air of Ralph because they don't really have an adequate government to deal with COVID or to deal with the budget. There are so many things in that country that is bad. The cost of living is absurd. To build a house there or buy an apartment is absurd. There's so many things that are bad in that country, you know. Uh, all of this has to be removed to make Eretz Israel a great place that people would want to come. So the Bershom has to elevate Eretz Israel to be a tremendously attractive place. You see, right now it's not. I'm not even talking about COVID. It is not. It's a and difficult place for people to live. What was that? Is it ironic? Is it ironic that BB's trial started today, and today also started the impeachment process for President Trump? Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Now, is that a coincidence, or is that divinely inspired? Yeah, that's right. So, what we are witnessing, hopefully, is the beginning of the fall. Except uh, 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 his trial. Uh, Trump's trial is on the contrary, is the rise of evil, whereas 
Bibi's trial is the fall of the year of Rav. The opposite. But it is amazing, you see, uh, of that. And, and when you think about it, that's exactly the, 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 the uh, trial against Trump is a trial against the good, you see, in that sense. The proliferate, it's the rise of evil. And that is also good because it signals the end. And the trial of Bibi, hopefully, is the end of the year of Rav, right? And that is also very good. But they, in many ways, they're opposites. Because, like I said, different things have to happen to the Sultan that will happen to any other Malach, you see. Right. You know, everything makes sense when you have the proper framework to understand what is going on. You know? So, but Rabbi, the, the, are, we, are we wishful thinking to, 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 to think maybe the Mashiach would come this year? Because the way it sounds, if we're waiting for the, everyone to come and, and all of these things, it just doesn't seem like it would come this year because there's just a lot that needs to happen first. Well, if you think about it, was it wishful thinking to think that there would actually be a president of the United States that would do so many good things to Israel. Never happened before. Nobody thought this would ever be. That there were actually somebody that would encourage Israel, you know, to express independence and so on. Whoever thought of that? But now, you know? now this uh, Biden is joining the um, United Nations and they want to uh, try Israel for war crimes. What do you that? mean by Biden is joining? Trump got rid of the United Nations. He said, that's it. We're not being a part of it. You don't do anything. Yeah. And um, right now, Biden's going back to join the United Nations. We haven't been with them for three years. America dropped out. And what are they planning to do? Their first sort of business is to try Israel for war crimes. The ICC, the International Crime Community. Yeah, you remember what I once said a long time ago? You're looking at Goik and Mogoik. The That's UN is going in Mogoik. What was that? Yeah, they're the seven nations divided into other groups. Exactly. So it's interesting. You may be watching the, re- the resurrection of Goik and Mogoik, and that certainly signals the end. Yeah. So you're going to have Ed What? Do you think the Messiah is in our lifetime? In the beginning, you said maybe in 2029, 2028 is the resurrection, but I don't know what's happening. All I see is people dying, and I don't see things getting better. Well, uh, which, that's what I'm saying. You won't see things getting better. Things have to get worse, just like it happened in Egypt. Exactly. That's exactly what has to happen is things are going to get worse, not better. Because getting worse is what makes it better. Just like it happened in Egypt. You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, on the contrary. Look, I guarantee you in Mitzrayim, I guarantee you in Mitzrayim, when all of a sudden Pare said they got to go gather straw, I guarantee you that everybody had a fit, or they're all fainting. Because not only did it get worse, right? It got worse because of the Mashiach. Uh, Just give me one second, please. 
Is anybody there? We're all here. Hello? I want to ask him about... He said that uh, Netanyahu walked out of the trial today. He goes, I don't have time for this anymore. Yeah, hello? That? Yeah, so yeah. what I wanted to say is that... Could you imagine being in Egypt after Moshe Rabbeinu comes and all of a sudden it got much worse? You really would have fainted, right? Right. Yeah, you would be speaking exactly the way you're speaking now. It, it's terrible out there. You know, it's getting worse, right? That's exactly what happens before the Mashiach comes. It gets worse. You know, that's why. Like I said, for those reasons. Like, I, I, in the beginning, I thought he was coming right away, like very soon, but now I don't know. With all this bad, I don't know why Hashem would send him right now. Well, he's, well it, has to get, it has to get worse, like I said, because justice has to be satisfied. Look, the Jews have to be redeemed because they deserve it. And the problem is, as I mentioned in a previous year, the Mashiach is coming because of Kulum Chayovim. Everybody is sinning. And therefore, in that generation, he comes. Well, if that's the case, they have to deserve it. And this is all to bring the Jews up to speed where they have to deserve it. You see? The rabbi... To end on a good note, any positive things we could talk about for or have in mind for Rosh Chodesh Adar that could, like, you know, to any, like... Yes, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good thought. Yes, our Adar is Mar Mesimcho, right? Rishonichnes Adar, Mar Mesimcho. And therefore, Purim, I mean, that's the time. Is, Adar is a very good time for Jews because it is the overturning of a tremendous, terrible, creeper nation called Amole. They're being overturned in Ador. And therefore, Ador is the muzzle of Mashiach ben Yosef. Because the Mashiach ben Yosef overturns the muzzle of Amole, you see. And, that, and that's why uh, Mordechai was from, you know, he was from Binyamin, Yishimini, and that is Bnei Rochel. So the enter Ador is is great, you know. On the contrary, it may signal the beginning of the end, you know. You think, it may so, signal so the beginning still, of the end. What was that? Chance, you still think there's a chance that the picky dot could happen soon, like this month? Yes, there's no question that it could happen. Look, we don't know the length of time of the Tigber Saradi proliferation or the strengthening of evil. We don't know how long that will be. You see, look, it happened in Egypt, the same thing. We don't know. But it happened. And the, the Pesach that indicates the end is Vayed Elohim. And God knew. Where it says, and the cries of the Jewish people went up to God. Right? And then it says Vayed Elohim, and God knew. Right? And Yediyah is when the uh, sphera, the light of the sphere of Yesod, pours into Malchus. That's called knowing. You see? And therefore, same thing. There's going to come a point in time where it's over. God knows. 
And then, of course, the next point was Moshe Rabbeinu and the Sneh. But the interesting thing about it is that this seems to be coming before the Mashiach comes. You see, there seems to be a reversal. What is that reversal? In Egypt, you had the Mashiach come, and then you had the Xerah of evil. You see, what seems to be happening now is the reverse. You have the Xerah of evil, and then there's a, a Messiah, a Mashiach, and there is no more evil after that. It's an interesting switch, you see, that seems that God wants to bring the strengthening of evil before the coming of the Mashiach. It's before the revelation of the Mashiach himself. That does seem to be different, you see. Like I said, in Egypt, the evil was strengthened after Mashiach came. And then, of course, you had the Makas. But what seems to be happening now is the reverse, is the strengthening of evil, which is necessary, right, to uh, satisfy judgment or justice. That is happening before the Pekidah. So it's like once the Pekidah happens, there won't be evil, you see. I think the reason for that, I think the reason for that is because what's called Rachamim Gedolim, tremendous mercy. What does that mean? Because it says, Berega Kot Nazavtich. Berega Kot means for one second, right? Azavtich, I will abandon you. Uberachamim Gedolim Akapsech. But I will gather you with tremendous mercy. You see, now mercy is an alteration of judgment. It says that, well, even though you don't deserve it, I'll give it to you anyway. Or even though you deserve punishment, I will suspend the judgment, right? Therefore, this we may be looking at Rachmim Gidoilam. What does that mean? You see? Where, where the, the difficulties, the tremendous sufferings and so on, the anti-Semitism and so on, will happen before the Mashiach comes. And not after, you see. Because we are looking at the end. So God may be, I think that's what he's doing, he's reversing the order of things. Where the evil will come before, and then once the Mashiach comes, it will not lead to more evil, right? On the contrary, it will be straight good, and it will just be, go up and up and up. You see? So that's what seems to be happening. You see? So that is a very interesting switch. Because we are not looking at, uh, you know, just a, a messianic era. We're looking at a messianic era, right, that is the end, the actual Geula, not an attempt to bring the Mashiach, but the, but the Mashiach will come. So uh, that seems to be happening. And part of the reason also is another, because the Jews in Egypt were stronger than we are now, you know. The Jews in Egypt were slaves for like 210 years, right? But we have been in Golas, which is really slavery to the nations of the world, for 2,000 years. That's much longer than they were, you see? We're looking at 2,000 years of tremendous amount of slaughter, pogroms, inquisitions, 
crusades, persecutions, expulsions, holocaust. You see? That's a long time to go through such incredible suffering. You see? So therefore, we're much weaker, much weaker than the Jews were in Egypt. And because of that, if God brought the Mashiach and then it got worse, I think everybody would collapse because we just can't stand it anymore. We don't have the endurance anymore or the bitochen to last. And I don't mean three people. I'm talking even a, 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 you know, a big portion. Therefore, God is switching. He is switching the order, you see. Because he's not going to bring the Mashiach and then it's going to get worse, which is what happened in Egypt. This is the Rachmim Gedolim. This is a tremendous, don't say Rachmim, it says Rachmim Gedolim, tremendous mercy. And that, what it is, is the is a deviation from what should have been. Because the Jews cannot tolerate a Golis. It's already 2,000 years. And after the Holocaust, that really slaughtered the Jewish people. So they just can't do it anymore. You know, and if God did that, I think he'd lose everybody, basically. You see? So he doesn't want to do that. So therefore, he's going to bring the evil, because that satisfies the judgment and the justice. Right? But he's going to do it before Mashiach, and he's going to do it all at one time. And that's why you may be looking at a complete reversal of Egypt, and also a tremendous intensification of bad, evil, immorality. You see what I'm saying? So that is a very important statement that I just told you now. It's a reversal of what should have been, and it's reversed. Because we are in a different position than they were in Egypt, and we cannot surveil, we cannot tolerate that type of, you know, reversal by having evil after the Mashiach comes. So we're really looking at a different order. You see? That's what's, that's what's apparently, that is what's happening. Okay, everybody got that? Thank you, Rabbi. Yes. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Okay. What was that? Yeah, have a great week. And the next week, uh, yeah, next week, wow, it's two weeks before Purim. It's Rosh Chodesh on Friday. Yes, Friday and Shabbos, correct, that's right. Which is also very good. You have Shabbos, you have actually three. You have Shabbos is one Kedusha, Rosh Chodesh Ado is another, then you have Pasha Shkolem. Right, it's Pasha Shkolem, correct. Yeah, so you have three Kedushas, which is great. We need so it. That's it. Okay, let's, let's hope that this is it. 